These tools are for you to use. These tools are for you to use. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. I'm Dave Marr. I'm a comedian who lives in Chicago. Nine years ago, I survived a month-long coma, and I woke up with questions I ask here. My guest this week is Al from Mask Up, a group of organizers who authored a 70-page doc called How to Talk to Your Loved Ones About COVID, which you can find at covid.tips. If you listen regularly or have seen my one-man show, Here to Make Friends, you know COVID safety is something I take seriously. We're in a pandemic. COVID is airborne. It wreaks havoc on all our body's major systems, and each new infection increases your risk of lasting damage. Masking, testing, vaccines, nasal sprays, mouthwashes, and air purification all help prevent the spread of it. You can learn more about these things at COVID.tips in the show notes. You can also follow Al on Twitter and another Mask Up member, Liz, who you can find at Real Gay Arby's. We're going first names only this week because organizers don't always want as much attention as comedians or musicians. If you enjoy this show and want to support Beyond Listening, subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best advertising for an independent artist like me. You can also join my Patreon for extended episodes and bonus content. Thanks to the Pigeon Tier subscribers, G, Barry Fontenot, Shuba Singh, Debo, Fred Fidoa, and Katie Llewellyn. And here's my conversation with Al. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, I treat What is a custom paradise designed for you? Uh, I think that like a custom paradise for me would be probably like a world that um, I guess was like really caring and, uh, you know, did everything in its power to ensure like the safety of people and that like everyone has access to all of the determinants of health. Um I'm not really sure if there's necessarily a perfect world, but I mean, like, it would be lovely if people didn't have to suffer and have suffering of pain and a lot of, like, just, like, preventable illness that, like, happens in our society that, like, just doesn't actually need to happen. And that, like, we have, we have, like, the technology and we have the resources and, like we choose not to use them. And I like find that like very discouraging um, that I think that like we have the power to like live in just like such a much more caring um, world. I don't know, honestly, I guess like, I think that it just like makes me happy to like see other people happy and like it hurts me to like see people suffering. Um, and I like think that like, you know, like we're all human and like we're all deserving um, to like be recognized. And um, like, I know that like you were in a coma and I also feel like maybe like my own experience of like battling, um, like I in 2018 got like bit by a tick and uh, I feel like my whole world was like basically like ripped under me like in a, just a second uh because like within two weeks i like became like it felt like at the time i was 
I guess I was 26 at the time. And uh, like within two weeks, I feel like my 26 year old body uh, turned into like an 80 year old man. Uh, I felt like I couldn't like stand without just like feeling like dizzy. Like I would like needed to sit down. Like I was just going to like collapse. Um, and knowing that like, you know, like I always knew about like chronic illness problems. And um, like, I also had an ex who had Lyme disease and, you know, I educated myself in that regard, but you don't really know what it's like living with chronic illness until it like actually happens to you. Yeah. Um, and I think that like, it's, it's like a, it's like a gift and a curse. Cause it's like, I don't want anyone to ever feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that like, that's where may maybe my answer is like kind of coming from is that like, I don't want anyone to ever feel like I felt, um, because I don't think that anyone deserves that. And because like, I, I felt like I had like nowhere to turn really. Cause it was like, um, you know, I didn't have like a bullseye rash. Uh, I found a tick on me. It wasn't engorged. Uh, I flushed it down okay. the toilet because I didn't know that you were supposed to save them. Oh, uh, wow. And because I was honest and told the truth at the doctor's office, I was told to take Tylenol. You don't have Lyme disease. Get out. Um, and I was told this by multiple doctors. Um, so I decided that I was just going to start lying. And I lied to get antibiotics. And guess what? They worked. Uh, <laughs> so wait, what was the lie? What did, the, what did the, you have to- The lie to... was yeah. I had a bullseye rash. It went away. I didn't know because I didn't have any symptoms. And then it went away. And like, now I'm having all these symptoms. Uh, and then I was like, you know, given antibiotics at that point. But the really hard thing about it is, um, and, and I had to do that a few times because- uh, like they they give you like this like low dose of antibiotics for like a very short period of time and mm. um i i truly think that like with lyme disease it's like i think that you can i think if you catch it like before you get symptoms and do like a short little course i think that's fine and that usually works but i think that like once you start actually establishing symptoms i think like it's already hijacked your immune system at that point um, and I think that like, you need a little bit more of like an aggressive treatment. Um, so I did. So is this your, is, is Lyme disease your like official diagnosis? No. So I was actually, I was never really like actually like diagnosed with it. My, right. my blood tests like never, never came back, uh, positive. But the thing about Lyme, the, the test, the blood test for Lyme disease is really inaccurate. Um, you can only, you can only catch it within a certain period of time and the test is less than 30% accurate um, because it's testing your uh, antibodies. It's not testing for the actual bacteria. But mm. the thing about, the thing about it is that ticks carry like, can carry like hundreds of different diseases and they all have sure. like, and they all have like overlapping symptoms with Lyme disease. So it it's like, was it Lyme? Was it something else? Like, I'm not really sure what it was. Has this resulted in something chronic for you or was it just a long enough period of time that it really shifted your consciousness? Um, 
so I honestly feel like I don't think that like my health has ever like quite returned to like where it was. So like I did quite a lot of antibiotics and then, um, and then I like feel like I just like reached a point where like they just weren't helping anymore. Um, and you know, it's not good to be on antibiotics for, you know, really long right. periods of time anyway. Um, cause they can also hurt your immune system. Uh, but, and then I like went and saw a naturopath, um, for, you know, about a year and like, uh, you know, helped with like taking a lot of like different supplements and like, I still kind of like feel like I don't quite like feel a hundred percent unless I like continue on like a regiment of like all of these like supplements. Um, and they're actually like, there is like data now. Um, and I think that like also like the CDC did release it, um, that like Lyme disease and I'm assuming a lot of these other like, you know, pathogens that like ticks can carry, um, it can also like trigger like the same mechanisms, um, that like cause like post viral illness. And so it's like, even though it's a bacteria, it's still causing like post viral illness and that like people mm. can have like reoccurrences of like, um, like reactivation of like, uh, EBV, which is also known as like mono. Okay. Okay. So the effect it has is, um, without oversimplifying it too much, it's just, it just really fucking knocked it out of you. It's just like your ability to recover from things, your stores of energy, your, um, I imagine that like small, um, not data points, but like little things can have big effects. Oh yeah. Um, I, I, I definitely feel like now, like I feel like I just am like a lot more like affected by, like, I feel like I get like worn out, like way easier than I used to. Yeah. And like, uh, and just like all sorts of stuff, just like, yeah, just like not having that much energy. And if I like, you know, stop taking my like supplement regimen for a few days then I like start like feeling like crap and it's like I shouldn't have to like live off of supplements uh mm. <laughs> like and I don't think there's anything wrong with taking supplements to for like you know vitamin deficiencies and stuff like that like if you're missing something from your diet but I don't think that like you shouldn't like tank after a few days like that's not right. normal <laughs> right 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 you feel like a house of cards being propped up by magnesium yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of ways that people react to such intense illnesses and medical sort of moments and they're not always i would guess probably like the minority of responses are organizing to keep this from happening to other people or like, you know, de-emphasizing your own personal experience in some ways. So was that like, had you already been an organizer? Do you consider yourself an organizer or like what, you know, when did this sort of altruism is also not the word I'm looking for. Cause it sounds like 
artificially selfless or something, but the idea of like turning this experience, not just to how am I going to optimize my own regimen, but how am I going to um, help this not happen to as many people or make some aspect of the world better? When did that come into play? Um, I mean, like, I definitely think that like, after I had gotten sick, I was like, pretty determined to like, tell everyone about what happened to me because I was just so horrified about like how I was like treated um, and like not believed um, about like what I was like experiencing and like, you know, at doctor's offices and such. And uh, I didn't want anyone to be in that position. And then I feel like, you know, when the pandemic came about, like it just like further like drove me to like want to make sure that like you know not only are there like <laughs> horrible like vector like insects out there that can <laughs> like make you sick but also now we have like an airborne pathogen that is also causing uh like a post-viral illness to people and a lot more things uh, in your body that it's like, the, it's not okay. Like the the chance of like heart attack, stroke, uh, yeah. diabetes, like everything just like seems to like skyrocket. And like, it's very accumulative. Like, um, like the more infections that you get, like the more at risk you are. And it's like, we shouldn't have to live in this reality. Like, like what is going on that we think that this is okay yeah is that were you so, so do you remember a specific moment where you got a piece of news or started noticing things and connecting it to your i'll just use the tick as synecdoche for the whole thing but like to your tick experience um, I mean, I, I do remember like fairly like early on uh, in the pandemic when like there wasn't a lot of like information being released, but um, even like within the first like few months, I remember there was like articles coming out being like COVID's like destroying your brain uh, and being like, yeah. what? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like thinking that there had actually been like evidence like very early on about how bad this was um and now like i just feel like it's like almost like one of like just like one of the worst crimes in history that we've like normalized a sars virus <laughs> the thing that i am really like have tried to explore in the newer the, the most recent one-man show that i've done is this tension between, um, I know it's systems, right? Like I know that the thing to be angry at is systems. And yet I'm also not going to pretend that when I see an individual person doing something that I don't do, whether on social media or out in the world, I also feel anger toward that specific person sometimes. I'm not like proud of that. I don't think that's a thing that we should all act on, but it's like, it's true. You know, it's like part of my experience. I'm wondering 
do you have experiences like that? Or do you find it easier to, once you have this value of like, it's systems, I'm, I'm part of this hospital system where I see a way that I can start to help people more, you're able to keep your personal feelings like more in alignment with those values? Or have you had those sort of stray feelings as well? Yeah, no, I'm not going to lie. This has been something that I like struggle with like really deeply. And I feel like this has also actually been like, um, like a critique of like, kind of like, uh, COVID tips is that, um, is that like, I think that there has been some people who have like read through this document and like felt like, uh, (laughs) that, you know, this was a document that was like created in like good faith to like have good faith conversations with people. And it wasn't about bad faith. And it was like trying to like, you know, have empathy for people. And like that, like, you know, there are a lot of people out there who have been misled. Um, But it's also like really hard to like, also not like, it is really, I feel like, you know, in that document, I feel like a lot of us had like kept out a lot of like our, our real feelings of like our real life experiences of, uh, what has happened to us, the friendships that we've lost. Um, and you see them in, they come out in certain moments where it's like, do you need a friend to accept a rage storm of texts? (laughs) Um, we're not trying to tone police you anger and, and, and righteousness are like, you know, I, 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 but I, I also understand the, the project of trying to assume good faith. Yeah. And like, I, I definitely feel like it's important to like realize that like a lot of people have been really like deeply misled. I think that the thing that I like struggled the most with is like yeah. finding like people who are in like radical spaces who claim to have particular politics. And then I feel like they're not following those politics. And it's like, it's very difficult because I feel like it's like, I feel like I hold these people to a higher standard, but I also like, it's also hard because it's like, I, I want to have compassion for these people too, like understanding that like, they're also just people. And that like, you know, there's a lot of things like in my past that like, you know, like I, have you know said ableist things in the past and like looking back and being like wow like that wasn't cool and like i'm you know i'm glad that someone took the time to educate me and like walk me through that and like feeling like you know like i also need to be there for people of like because you know you can't just one of my like most like hated things that i that some people say is like you know when someone says something ignorant and people are like, oh, just Google it. And it's like, do you think that that's actually helpful? That's not helpful. Like that, like just telling people to Google stuff will, one, it's probably going to lead them down like a rabbit hole that is not the one that you wanted. Right, um, right, right. And it's probably going to actually like just like further like radicalize these people to the right. Um, because you're not actually like holding compassion for these people. You're just like Mm -hmm. saying like, you know, you're stupid. Like, you like, 
I don't accept you. Uh, yeah. And, and I don't, I don't think that that's particularly helpful. Well, it's the, it's the irony of asking marginalized people to do the emotional labor that they shouldn't have to do, but that technically someone does need to do if progress is going to be made. Like, I, like, I don't need to, I, I, I'm, I feel completely comfortable opting out of having to explain type one diabetes, which is my disability, big disability to anyone. Like, I, I don't feel like I need to do that, but at certain points when I do have the resources and the energy or whatever to, to do some explaining, it's helpful to do some explaining, you know what I mean? And similarly, like, you know, it, you don't want to be like, constantly asking like black people in America, like what their experience is like, but I'm very grateful that there, that there are publicly and in my own life, like black people who have been willing to talk about the experience of being marginalized because of their race. Um, but, it, but it's tough. You, you can't be like, you can't be like disabled people, please explain your, do a better job of of making us feel comfortable with why we need to understand these things, you know? Yeah, I definitely feel like it's like this fine line of like, I like, honestly, like, I definitely feel like as a white person, like when people like, you know, say something potentially that might have like racist undertones or something, like I do feel like it's like, okay, like this is my time to shine. And I definitely feel <laughs> sure. like, uh, Sometimes when I feel like there, when there's like ableist comments or something that like people say, I sometimes I feel like I like shrink into like, you know, just feeling like mm. really tiny because it's like something that like, you know, this is something that like affects me. And, you know, I agree that like, you don't want to have to like be that person to like educate people. But I also do think that like, you know, people do need to like, I think that the work of, I guess, like having kind of like radical politics or anything like that is like, you have to be willing to talk to people and you have to be willing to engage with people. And I'm not telling people to engage in people with bad faith. That's not it. I feel like it's only people, you know, who are willing to engage in good faith and are like just saying stuff out of like complete ignorance and like not because they're like, like, you know, believe like really terrible things um right <laughs> well learning about this spectrum of allies i think that's the way you all refer to it in the covid tips doc right yes it's like that yeah so this the the idea I, I i forget whether it was introduced to me in 2020 at with that title but i find that like that phrase to be really helpful the spectrum of allies but it was less like active supporters, passive supporters, neutral, passive opponents, active opponents. It was like just on a one to five scale where three was neutral. You know, one is people who are really with you. Five is people who are really against you. And that was so helpful because as a white person where the, the emphasis for so much of life has been on civil civility, has been on both sidesing things, you know, to, to, to now we're seeing the detriment of like how there actually are not two sides worthy of equal time around every issue. 
that 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 default is is really harmful when you then do give two sides to every issue that same drive led me to think oh well it's our job to reach it the 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 love compassion whatever these big values are is all about like reaching the fives is all about like trying to get these active opponents you know how do you hug the nazi you know how do you hug them into rehabilitation or whatever you know and like and and so what that would be though and i wasn't like saying this to people it's all just conversations happening in my head but these conversations would happen after i would be reading or watching something from uh, like a marginalized person, like, or someone with radical politics being like, we need to do this and this and this. And I'm like, but how do we get the, like the devil on board? You know what I mean? And it's like, and, and I realized that I was just thinking about that the entirely wrong way that there are whole swaths of neutral people, whole swaths of passive people who are already on your side that you can talk to and that you just that you don't have to engage with people in bad faith, you know, because growing up white in the suburbs, it was all about like, well, can we have a civilized debate about this? It's like, sometimes, no, we need to fucking get some shit done and we don't have time for civilized debate. Absolutely. Um, or quote civilized debate. Yeah. I, I honestly, I really, really hate this idea that like, just like you were saying, like that almost like, as if like the morally neutral place is to find yourself in the middle. And I find this so like weirdly egotistical, like this idea that like, ah, uh, yes, like there must be like some sort of like middle ground and like, oh, I see that. But like these other people don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I guess like, I just really don't like that. Um, and like, I think that it's re really important. I think that, like, there's a real gap in, like, people's understanding of, like, history and understanding of, like, fascism. Um, and, like, you know, I'm no expert at fascism, but I do know uh, maybe a little bit. Um, yeah. And, like, when, see, Nazis don't scare me. I'm not afraid of Nazis. I feel like Nazis will always exist they're, you know, they've always existed. They will continue to exist. Um, who am I really afraid of? I'm really afraid of liberals because yeah. these are the people who allow these kind of people to like that. Liberals are the kind of people who legitimize these people and, um, and find themselves in a spot where it's like, well, you know, I can see both sides or, you know, this, you know, ridiculous notion of like, you know, horseshoe theory that like, you know, people who are communists are just as bad as those people who are Nazis. And it's like, yeah, yeah like that's people who uh, like want the people to have human rights and people who uh, think that they should have like an ethno state like <laughs> right or you're looking at the nazi communists you're looking at the authoritarian communists which is a different spectrum like we're not yes. talking about like the values of social equity we're talking about people who just want to be in charge that's not communism no you know what i mean yeah yeah <laughs> so were you all did you always have well 
no one always had any politics. But but when did you? Was there a moment that radicalized you? Um, honestly, I'm not. I'm not totally sure if there was like a moment that radicalized me. I guess, like honestly, like I will give credit to uh, like my sister. I think is like someone who. Uh, she was older than me and I feel like she kind of like introduced me to a lot of like radical politics um, like at quite a young age like I feel like I when I was like a teenager like I identified as like an anarchist I like don't identify as an anarchist Amazing. anymore I identify as like a communist uh, okay. <laughs> but um, that was like kind of yeah uh, maybe that was my introduction I feel like uh, but it, but identifying an anarchist as an anarchist based on principles, not based on uh, seeing the logo in an album in album liner notes or on a T-shirt at Hot Topic or something like that. I guess so. I mean, like, I do think that, like, when I was younger, like, my understanding was like not maybe like the full picture, and I'm sure, and I'm all, sure. and I'm also like I'm no like politics expert, um, yeah. but this is just like where like you know my education of like reading things and my influence of like you know other people um and kind of just the things that I have learned I just feel like that's just has made the most sense to me um to identify as like a communist yeah so after you're starting to connect the dots between COVID and the tick I, uh, when do you start linking up with other people and specifically the other people who write the COVID tips doc? Do you call it a doc or do you call it a, uh, how do you refer to yeah, it? Yeah, I guess like we, we call it, we call it a doc. Um, but okay. yeah, like the, it is for anyone who like wants to find it. It's like COVID.tips, like a URL, yeah. um, that you can just plug in. Um, so yeah, I feel like, honestly, um, I feel like really grateful that I've like gotten to get to know these people. Um, honestly, like Liz has kind of been like the main writer of the doc. Um, okay. so, uh, and it was like her who has, who gathered us all. So probably in like around March of 2023, um, Liz had put out like this post online, um, trying to see if there was people who was like interested in organizing around COVID and um, myself and a few other people had kind of like messaged Liz back and we kind of just like started this like group chat. Um, and so she had kind of like wrote most of the document. And then there was kind of like um, a few sections that like she needed help with. And um, so kind of like we all divvied up divvied up the work and kind of um made our contributions to like the document um but like truly like it was it was mostly liz um and we wow. are like also um like coming out with we are coming out with a version two um hoping to like release it in a few weeks but um cool. we'll see how that goes <laughs> how did you feel like you had a wheelhouse where it was like oh Al, you go find all the scientific studies to support X and Y, or you 
come up with the big bolded items or, you know, was there a specialty that it felt like you had in assembling that doc? Um, like sort of, I mean, like there was a few things that I had kind of like worked on, but we kind of like divided it up by like, kind of like topics rather than like there was someone who worked on like the long COVID part. I worked on like the part about the environment. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to remember the parts that I worked on, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there, there was a few others in there, and I, I'm kind of blanking at this moment. But, uh, yeah, there was kind of a few parts there. And then is there a name for the group? I, I feel like it was referenced somewhere where it was like, oh, we like an organization name or something like that. Yeah. So um, I guess like we just call ourselves like mask up. And I think that there might be like okay. a few other organizations that might also have the same name. Um, sure, but I think sure. that like, we just want to keep it simple. Um, and uh, I know like Liz is also like working on another part of uh, kind of like the document and like, kind of like um, backtracking like a little bit to, um feeling angry and kind of like feeling like stuff there's uh there is um if you covidjournal.org uh you can like submit kind of like your stories about covid um it's a place to like you can submit it like anonymously um and it's kind of like a place where people can like vent reflect just like get out their feelings like tell stories about whatever has affected them, um, whether that's people in their life passing or whether it's uh, like friendship breakups, family breakups. Um, Cause I feel like a lot of people have been like grieving really badly during this time. And, uh, and it, and it's made it worse. Cause you know, people are feel so alone um, especially the people who are still trying to take COVID seriously um, and feeling like that isolation um, so it's a kind of a place where people can like submit their stories and, and also to like, kind of like create this like history of that, like, there were people who like, you know, this is like, this is like a class genocide that is kind of like happening. And, yeah. um, that like, there were people who took it seriously and that like, there were people who like, we didn't take this lying down, like, uh, that it wasn't everyone who accepted this reality that we've kind of been like forced into. Well, and the use of mask up feels like a very intentional nod to act up, which connects the HIV pandemic to this one. Is that, is that right? Or is that, I don't know. I'm not sure if like, I'm not sure if anyone in the group had like made that connection, uh, to be honest. And oh. I like, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it. Um, okay. but I do think that like, you know, a lot of pandemic history that we do have, like, it really does like interconnect with like what is happening now. Um, you know, the government also lied about HIV and didn't want to talk about it. And, uh, and like, the same things happening now. And it's like, um, and you know, back then it was because, oh, only gay people are dying. So like, who cares? And, you know, we've heard this mm-hmm. kind of like rhetoric in, in the media that like, uh, <laughs> you know, the stuff about 
letting the vulnerable like fall to the wayside and right. uh the that like it's the only people who are dying are are vulnerable like sick people with a bunch of comorbidities and uh like as if that those laws These are fat pieces of shit oh yeah and there's you know, it's like how i hear it there's a ton of fat phobia that oh yeah, has like come sure. out with with like COVID, it's just like reared its ugly head um i mean it's always been there but i feel like it definitely i think has like gotten worse because people like then think that people have this idea that like it's people's fault for like being overweight um and there's like a lot of like really like junk science out there that is actually like really not credible around like weight and like obesity yeah. and stuff like that um and like it's like wild like some like just some of the, how poorly studied like these things are that they've just come out with such like junk nonsense science that actually is like not doesn't say what what they think it says <laughs> oh yeah 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 no totally <laughs> or is like clearly has, was clearly motivated by people with really specific industry motivations or or was was thought to be one way and was totally reversed like five years later but the first way stuck yeah and like yeah and especially um I mean, I know that you said that you're like a type one diabetic, but I know there's also mm -hmm. like a lot of, there's also like a lot of stigma around like type two diabetes and yes, uh, that I have had to unlearn like, yeah. Uh, and I mean, same, yeah. uh, that like, there was a lot of stuff that I like only in recent years have like realized that actually like type two diabetes is like gen a genetic thing and that it's not right. Like, obviously, like, yes, like, sometimes, like, lifestyle factors can, like, you know, make it worse, but it's, like... Be one factor. But, yeah, it's just one factor. And it's, like, there are lots of lots of people who people would be, like, they're really skinny um, who have type yeah. who have type 2 diabetes. It's about, it's about, you know, your genetic predisposition for these things and that it's, like, about insulin resistance in your body and it's not necessarily mm -hmm. because uh you went home and ate some candy and you ate too much sugar and like you killed your pancreas like that's not that's not how it works well even the, yeah <laughs> totally and yeah i mean that's amazing that you're even like i mean of course you are but it's amazing that you're even aware of that you know and then like but i feel like even maybe i'm maybe i'm creating too much of a fantasy with this but i feel like even the phrase insulin resistance like gives for me as you know as a fat person like a a a fat fat is a layer of something between something right so it's like a of course a fat person would be more insulin resistant because wherever it's going and wherever it's coming from there's insulin and this big fat person i see like is just going to be, it's just going to take longer to get to the core of them or whatever <laughs> it is, you know, as if they're like totally biologically like nonsense, but just this idea that like, well, this person has more mass. So 
yeah, they probably have a bunch of little walls around all their cells or something like that. You know what I mean? Just like nonsense that that seems to intuitively make sense because of these, you know, fat phobia in our culture. Oh, yeah. And like you like people make like wild assumptions about people and like about their diet and their exercise. And it's like there's lots yeah. of people out there who exercise regularly and like are overweight like that's not i think that like our whole idea of like even being overweight i think is like it it's so convoluted with just like a lot of just like i, I don't know like white supremacy um mm -hmm. of just like around like just a lot of like weird i guess like just like bioessentialists like ideas around right. the human body in general well and that's where this idea of like the fact that some people even have settled at a place where oh only vulnerable people get covid oh the vulnerable people to the wayside what culture has consciously ever said that it's okay to toss vulnerable people to the wayside. Like, you know, I grew up in the suburbs with like evangelical Christianity and like however much the, the, the actions mismatched the values, the values that were espoused were like, look out for the least of these, protect the most vulnerable. So how the fuck have we got to this point where people are just comfortable saying like, Oh, vulnerable is not something you like work hard to protect. Vulnerable means you're weak and you should die. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like it's, it's really, it's honestly like really disturbing. And I, I feel like almost like our society is like losing like our humanity um, for like how the government is like treating these things. It's like the first like, you know, like notion of like, where people thought that there was like kind of like civilization. I think it was like, they found like, I think I'm not exactly sure on the story, but I know that they like found this like skeleton that like this person had like a broken, it was like clear that this person had a broken leg, but like there was some sort of evidence that like this person had been like cared for, that it had been like splinted in some sort of capacity. Mm. Um, and that it's like, Okay, like it's in our nature, I feel, to like care for each other and to like make sure that like, you know, like no one gets left behind. And it's like, what kind of society are we building where we think that like it's okay that some people are left behind? Um, and this idea that like some people are more deserving of life than others, or that like <laughs> it's it's just so deeply unethical. Um, and it's just like so highly disturbing that but so deeply ingrained too. Like there is a legitimate, I will say there's maybe 1% part of my brain that if you were to tell me someone who eats ice cream for every single meal does not deserve to live as much as someone who doesn't. 1% of my brain is like, yeah, I kind of see that. I That kind of makes sense. You know what I mean? Even though it's like, what? Who said, <laughs> no, that's not. What are you talking about? Like, that's not the case. We, we've created these values on like, you know, certain foods are good and bad. Certain behaviors are good and bad. Like, the no, I've never heard a positive association with 
the couch, you know, when it comes <laughs> to health or anything. Even the word couch is like, you know, yeah, it's it's just yeah. Well, okay, so we're get we're getting very like I could I could go off on this forever, but I'm very curious about the anger piece because because there's still some unresolved stuff there. One fascinating that that there has been criticism about the doc not not giving voice to or not paying enough attention to the fact that anger has been a real experience for a lot of people. I find that interesting considering that on Twitter, Liz is a very angry and I say that as a fan, you know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, and, and so that's really interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and it doesn't, we don't have to be like just talking about Liz, but how does that factor in for you? Um, I mean, like, I, th I think, I mean, I also, I love that Liz is angry on Twitter. I think that like, uh, because also like, it's important to realize that like anger comes from a place where like people are like seeking justice. Um, yeah. and I think that like anger is like a very important tool that like we need to like hone in on it's like you know anger is you know emotions are morally neutral it's all about what you do with right. those emotions and how you act upon those emotions um but also being angry on twitter is just like saying you play basketball on a basketball court you know what <laughs> i mean it's like that's the place to be angry you know? yeah um you know like i i definitely think that like yeah, I think that there were some people who, yeah, like felt like the doc wasn't angry enough. Um, but like the the doc wasn't about being angry at people. Yeah. Um, it's about engaging in people in good faith um, who with, you know, for readers who want to try and do that and engage with people right. in their life to try and educate them and change their mind on these topics. Um rather than like Twitter is a place where people can go and share their emotions, uh, assuming yeah. that, you know, Elon Musk isn't going to like uh, X you out. <laughs> right. Which is a big assumption <laughs> these days, <laughs> but is there, are there any plans to make like a bad faith version of the doc or have, has that like factored into anything? Um, no, not a I bad don't think that we've version, ever like made dealing like, with bad faith people version. I don't think that like we've ever like thought about like having like a bad faith version, but I think that like we have thought about like sh maybe sharing more about our personal experiences and okay. like what gotcha. we've been through and also like understanding that like you know we may have written this doc. Do like people need to realize that like you know <laughs> including myself like I have not had some good conversations with people and I've had conversations right. where I have let my emotions like just run wild and I acted inappropriately. Um, and <laughs> like, we are not some sort of like perfect group where like we're above these like angry emotions. Like we're not like we are human and like we 
are angry and it's very frustrating when you see people who, you know, you care about or that they say that they care about you and then they have actions that like really show you otherwise. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just, yeah. Well, that's where my <laughs> genuine curiosity and sort of like yearning comes in is because you said that you've struggled with that as well. What answers have you found for dealing with those situations or that anger or have you found answers? I mean, maybe like, I definitely think in like some ways, like I haven't found answers, but I do think that like, sometimes like, I do think that it has been like good to like reflect on these moments that like, I don't think that I acted great in these situations um, and kind of like taking from those situations and being like, okay, like how can I do better? Like what, what would I have done differently? And like, and I think it's pretty easy to do when like you have a situation that doesn't go right. And then you're thinking about yeah. all the things afterwards. I, of, like, I would do everything like, different. Like just like, oh, I should have said this. Oh, I should have done that. Like, um, so I do think that it has been like helpful, but you know, like it is growing pains and it's like of learning how to have these conversations because every conversation is going to be different because every single person is different and they're going to have a different view. But I mean, with that said, there is like a lot of common themes, which especially like we go through in like the doc about, um, about like common things that like sometimes people will say, uh, to kind of like give you an idea of like what kinds of things that like you could say to like navigate these situations. Um, but it's hard because it's like, obviously these things aren't set in stone and like you don't, you can't always expect what people are going to say. So let me give you a false either or. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is when, when you're looking and you're saying, how do I, how would I change things in the future? What would I, what would I do differently? Is, is the answer to what would I do differently in, in an, in an interaction with someone, let's say it's, let's say it's a person who says they care about you, but takes almost no COVID precautions, even though they're aware you take as many as you can. Is the thing to change to treat them more like they are in good faith is to, is to never let anger get the best of you in those conversations and is to always try to treat them like they are acting in good faith or it's fa false either or, or is the answer to cut them out of your life? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can give you an either or in this situation. I feel like that's why it's a false. <laughs> you have to commit, Al. Uh, um, I mean, I want to say not get angry at people and not cut them out, um, but that hasn't been necessarily always true in my life. Uh, I have cut people out. Uh, I did cut out. Um, someone who I considered like one of my closest friends. Um, 
of like you know uh like 15 years uh because uh during the pandemic he decided that uh i don't know he wanted to date a nazi and give up all his politics so uh and his girlfriend was like uh like this like huge anti-vaxxer um and didn't want to get vaccinated and he also like prolonged getting vaccinated uh because he didn't want to like upset her and i i just knew that he knew better and i just like i couldn't take it and it's like he knew what he was doing was not good and it's like how, like how do you commit yourself romantically to like someone like that like i just yeah you, i think that like that speaks your your actions are saying that you don't value me as a human being and that like you are entertaining these kind of like narratives um so to me it's like on some level like you must somehow believe that um if you're like going to be like but, but al it's not about you I, it's not <laughs> that I, you're taking it personally when <laughs> when this is about me and my relationship like how do you because i know because i've had that too where someone's saying like oh this isn't personal to you it's about my life what's your respect like how did you have any of those conversations with them how did you respond to that um i think that like I didn't quite have like that kind of like conversation, but I mean, like maybe like I sort of did. I did like, I did straight up ask him, like, I was like, you know, your girlfriend, is she ableist? And he was like, no. So he like lied right to my face. Cause it's like, well, how do you be an anti-vaxxer and not be right. ableist? Uh, <laughs> like, cause clearly you think that there's some sort of like genetic that you're somehow genetically superior that you don't need a vaccine. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So, so um, but I do think that like, I think that it like comes from like a really privileged place to like think that like these politics or that these issues like exist in some sort of like vacuum um, when they don't, it's like, you can't just say that like politics don't matter or that like you want to disengage from politics or that like disengaging from politics is in of itself a very political act like people who can decide to do that are like in a place of privilege where they think that these issues don't actually affect them and it's like these issues affect everyone it's really about like your approach to it or that you just think that it doesn't affect you um in some sort of so way. ending that relationship was it a was it a bang or was it a whimper did you just slowly pull away or did you have a this ends our relationship conversation um there was like it was maybe like a little bit of both um honestly like i feel like uh i asked him straight up if his girlfriend was gonna get vaccinated and, and then he had like said no and i honestly i just like i just lost my shit um <laughs> uh and i feel like and then kind of like afterwards i was like 
okay, like I just didn't act like I wanted that conversation to go. And I feel like there was like a little bit of back and forth of like meeting up a couple times to like kind of wade through like what his experience was, what she was going through, like what my thought process was. And um, so like, I feel like it was like maybe like a little bit of a dwindle, but like, I, I feel like by the end of it, it was like very clear that like he kind of like made his choice. And I feel like I made mine of like kind of cutting him out. Is the door still open to that? Like when you've cut someone out, is there a space still open for them somehow? Um, I I really think it depends on the situation. I think in like yeah. this particular situation, I think that like the door is pretty firmly closed. I feel like honestly, mm-hmm. like I think that like he kind of like made it clear to me that like his values are of convenience and not of like caring for other people or like considering other people that like you know somehow his situation was special and that like you know no one else has ever dealt with this kind of situation and that like he should be granted some sort of like green pass because like you know this is happening to him and it personally affects him and it's like this is all personally affecting us like yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I find that the inconvenience slash convenience argument is a lot of times what it boils down to. Uh, in, in Convenience and embarrassment, I think, are a lot of big reasons why people um, permanently step down the precautions they're taking or seemingly permanently step down the precautions they're taking around COVID. Because there's a part in my new show, which is very like interactive with the audience, where I just straight up ask people like where they're at in their mitigations that they're currently practicing out of genuine curiosity, you know, like the show is masked. So I'm, you know, safe as that's happening. And I'm saying like, where are you at? Like, what do you do? Is this normally what you do? Do you have, do you go to live shows like this? Do you, you know whatever and and so much of it is social pressure and that's really it's so sad because it feels like the the switch is right there you could just flip it you know you could just yeah yeah a little bit stronger or something i don't know yeah and i do think that like I do think that there are a lot of people who would be more than willing to mask up if most of the population was. Um, because I do think that like, I think that like a big, a big issue is that like, we are very, very social creatures. Like as humans, I feel like a lot of our survival has like come from having community and taking care of one each, taking care of one each other. Oh taking care of each other um but like so when like people want to conform people want to fit in because fitting in psychologically is safety right and so Mm. even though you know we've come to a point where like we can critically think about things that doesn't mean that like 
we can all of a sudden turn off like, you know, <laughs> thousand thousands of years of like evolution of like yeah. how our brain has like developed in ensuring our survival, right? And so when you have this like psychological pull of nobody's wearing a mask, it's like, well, you don't want to be the odd one out and that like you find safety in community and and so and if no one else is masking and that you know the <laughs> like the media around uh covid has been like either abysmal or uh like just straight up lies um it's really easy to like get people to just be like oh well you know it's just we're vaccinated so it's the flu and it's like you know that's that's not true what you're saying is so spot on and and opens the crack for hope for me because if fitting in is safety and so much of how we've kept ourselves safe is community then in a situation where ironically all the people the, the dominant fitting in is actually a form of harm yes. then the people who are practicing true safety as we find each other can fit in can have the feeling of fitting in with he, with each other whether that is you know even digitally connecting like across large distances or knowing that like your small group of friends will be masked together in a place or even a thing that I got from the doc, the idea that by being masked by yourself in a place, you are showing other people, even if you are in the minority, you are being kind of an example of like how this is not a big deal. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that like it, it does help to try and like normalize these things more and like, I think the really hard thing is like, honestly, like, I feel like sometimes I wish that the world was just black and white and that it would be so easy just to be like, you know, you're a bad person, you're a good person and like mm -hmm. just cast away people. Um, but it's like really difficult because a lot of the world is really gray and it's really hard I find to like hold complex feelings um and i don't think that anyone finds this easy because like i feel like there's there's people who like you interact with and you're just like i just it'd just be easier just to hate you um because you're doing things that i believe make you a bad person um and like it's kind of like hard to like separate like what like what is choice what is coercive choice that's happening like what like what factors are influencing people's behaviors um because like i don't i find it it's difficult because it's like while i don't necessarily think that like behaviors define you i like also to a certain degree i'm like well you can't just let everyone off the hook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, because like people do have choice 
And like, I guess it's like, what knowledge does that person have? And like, are they using that knowledge or are they choosing to ignore it? I want to end with a traditional question from the podcast. One of the core, you know, questions I ask, well, yeah, literally every guest is what do you hope happens when you die? There's part of me that like, I want there to be something more. Um, part of me feels like I like the safety in thinking that there's nothing. Um, <laughs> the sa It feels safe? It feels safe to think that there's nothing, yeah. Safe how? Um, I guess that like, if there's nothing, then like, there's there's just nothing. Um, and that like, there's no unknown as opposed to like this mm. idea of like, you know, if I die, like what does happen? It's scary to be like, well, there's this other world and like, and it is kind of scary because I honestly, like, I feel like I've had like, kind of like ghostly experiences and I would like to believe that there is like no afterlife, but I kind of feel like there is some sort of afterlife and I'm not really sure like what that is or uh, what that means. Um, but I kind of hope that there's nothing. <laughs> okay. Inter interesting. Well, what are, what are the ghostly experiences? Um, like ghostly experience. Uh, I had one when I was like, uh probably around like 15 um i was like at a friend's house and this friend like had like this house that was like out in the middle of like boonies like absolute nowhere and um she would always tell me these like weird stories um because her grandfather like built that house and died in that house and she would tell me these like weird stories about like things moving around and like uh at her house and you know there was just part of me that was like yeah, yeah, yeah whatever um sure what like i i didn't really think that deep into it um and then there was like one morning like you know my partner at the time uh we were like sleeping on like the couch at this friend's house and there was like there was no one else home other than like my friend who was like sleeping in their bedroom and like we were sleeping on the couch in the living room and then I like woke up like at like 7 a.m. And all of a sudden, like there was like, I could hear like this man like yelling. Um, I didn't see anything, but like there was like this like loud man's voice, like, like just yelling. And I like, I don't even know what it said because I was just like so afraid because I was like, I was just like, I'm, my brain's rotting. Like I'm nuts. Like I need help. Um, and uh and then, like, my partner at the time, like, turns to me and was like, did, did you hear that? And I was like, no. and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, just like, that is just like, just like totally, it just like changed my perspective um, in that moment yeah. of being like, we both heard that. And like, it was like, it was coming from like within the room. Um so that was like pretty freaky and then like i don't know um so in 2022 um also uh probably like 
someone who's like very close to me. Um, I'd like like to say best friend, but I feel like that like doesn't really describe who he was to me. I feel like he was like family to me and like he uh took his own life and uh and I feel like a few days like after he died, like I was I mean, I was having trouble sleeping and stuff like that. And um I just remember like I was like sitting in the couch in the living room, just like just doing nothing. Um, and like, I have like these, like, these like steps up to like the porch uh, of my house. And, um, you can always like, you can audibly hear when people like come up the steps, like you can't miss it. Like it's, it's like, if you're in the living room, like you can hear people come up the steps and it was like one in the morning and like the doorbell rang and like, I was like, what, who is at the door? And like, I just like listened for a second and like, I didn't hear anything. Cause I was like, oh, are there gonna be like some drunk kids running away? Like what, yeah. what's going on? And like, kind of like looked out the window and there was no one there. Um, And like, there wasn't anyone on the street. Like there was just absolutely no one. And and maybe I'm just telling myself to like, as a, like some sort of comfort story for myself, but sure. part of me like really believes that like, he was telling me that like, I made it home. Like, like, <laughs> cause he yeah. also, he, 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 he died in BC. Um, mm. And so like, he wasn't, he wasn't in the province. Uh, when he passed wow. away and so i like wow. kind of like feel like there was like this i i feel like it was like his way of like telling me like goodbye like i made it back like don't worry about me like um and again like maybe i'm just telling myself that maybe there was just some sort of electrical like thing that happened that could be explained right. but um i also but consider so the that thing as, is, yeah <laughs> so these two things happened and the thing that you hope is that they both mean nothing because there's nothing. Yeah, man, I, I, my brain is <laughs> melting. Uh, You've already <laughs> made room for them, integrated them into your lived experience. But after you die, you're like, I hope they just die with me. I hope I, it's too, <laughs> too much to think about. I guess, yeah, um, and I, I'm, I definitely, I'm just a massive hypocrite here, uh, just like with like conflicting um, beliefs that are happening. It's like simultaneously. Uh, That's yeah. real. That's, yeah, but, I can relate. But yeah, I mean, because I don't know. I mean, I think that, yeah, I think that there being nothing would be comforting, but also like, there's part of me that like, obviously, like I would hope that, you know, in some capacity, I guess, like, I hope that like, you know, yes, that their spirit does live on in some sort of capacity, but I think it's just like really scary to like, think about like what that means. Totally. <laughs> well, I think that's, uh, that's perfect. We'll end with, uh, letting people know it's scary to think about what that means and say goodnight to them and, uh, <laughs> hope they sleep well. <laughs> that is the show thank you for listening tell a friend who would love the show about the show follow al 
follow Liz. Check out covidjournal.org for the link to submit stories about talking to your loved ones about COVID to mask up. And go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr. And until next week, remember, you are a mist. Miracles. Miracles. You can do them. Have faith. You are human. <laughs>